0: Hey guys, this week's episode is brought to you by Delta Faucet, whose H2O kinetic showers deliver a warmer, more indulgent shower thanks to get this, bigger water droplets of all things. More on that later in the episode, or you can learn more at deltafaucet.com/slash YHL. I'm John.
1: And I'm Sherry.
0: We like home stuff.
1: We like talking.
0: And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love has a podcast. Where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY design and life at home
1: in today's special episode we're taking a look at the crazy ways we've seen the internet change over the last 10 years and how that's changed our approach to life business and the weird world that we call blogging hey folks hello everybody As usual, awesome, smooth entrance to podcasting by Sherry Peterson.
0: I will spare you (laughs) by breaking out something that we've been keeping tucked away for months.
1: It's a special occasion, guys.
0: Yes, it's the special episode music. In a very special episode of Young House Love has a podcast.
1: Podcast, podcast, podcast. Insert dramatic thunderbolt here. Right,
0: right. Uh, Well, as we mentioned last week, we were in Palm Springs earlier this month giving a talk at the Alt Summit conference. Uh, It's a blogging conference. And so today we are going to play for you that talk.
1: Yeah, we cover a lot of ground, sort of the challenges of turning your hobby into a business, the impact of sponsored posts, even a story that I've never told before about finding myself on the phone with a certain bachelorette.
0: ABC's The Bachelorette.
1: I talk to her on the phone.
0: We're not naming names.
1: That's right.
0: We also kind of do a deep dive into some of our new perspective on how much we share of our lives, which is where Sherry gets a little bit emotional.
1: Yeah, we mentioned in the last episode that I totally cried on stage, so you get to hear me cry. It's going to be awesome
0: it also kind of builds on our special episode from last year episode 14 the one where we talked about what quitting our blog taught us so that's a good one to listen to if you want to hear more after you've listened to today we
1: tried not to overlap them too much but they sort of some things pick up where that talk left off so without further ado
0: you will now be transported to Palm Springs, California
1: <laughs> without any of the scenery but some audio of two people talking on a stage is this taping we're recording this, we're recording for, the this for the podcast
0: <laughs> like big nerds. Well, hi guys. As Gabby mentioned, we write Young House Love and a variety of other things that have come out of that. We started that in 2007. So this fall, we will celebrate our 10-year anniversary of it, which is kind of weird and crazy at the same time. And so we thought what we've talked to you guys about this morning is sort of what we've seen evolve over those 10 years in blogging and sort of what we've learned from it. So we've dubbed this morning then and now, how blogging has changed and how we've changed with it.
1: Because I think it's interesting to look back on what happened before because nobody knows where this whole blogging train's going. But there is definitely interesting things that have changed in the past 10 years. And so if we look at those, maybe we have a better idea of the trajectory. We can't predict it perfectly. But I think taking stock and having a global view of something and looking at a large amount of time and what has changed over that amount of time might help us be more prepared for the next large amount of time in front of us.
0: Let's start off by taking a trip back in time and sort of setting the stage for where all this began.
1: 2007, our digital footprint, if you could call it that, was a list of one thing, it was a blog. That's what we did in 2007, it was just for fun, we started to document a kitchen renovation we were doing, never thought it would grow to have any strangers who cared to look at what we were doing in our kitchen. 2017, 10 years later, the digital footprint is a lot bigger. The list no longer just includes a blog, it's a blog, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, we have a Twitter account, We've written three books, we have two product lines, we have a podcast, we do public speaking and we do consulting both in advertising stuff which we did before going into blogging and also some consulting for blogging stuff. So it's really crazy to see how, what was once sort of a bucket with one thing in it is now a bucket with all these other things kind of swirling around in it.
0: And I'm sure this is not a unique thing to us obviously. I think a lot of you guys have also experienced this thing that more and more has piled on from the blog or whatever you started doing initially. And so that actually is kind of the first observation that we've made. I would say back then in 2007, blogging was kind of like a tree. So picture palm tree because it's Palm Springs that we're in and it was an available emoji. Um, (laughs) We would say your blog was kind of like the trunk of the tree. It was like the main thing that held everything up. And so like in our example, we had our blog and from that we eventually like started a little like art print shop and did some e-design consulting. Like those were the kind of the branches that leafed off from the top, but they were all supported by the trunk and no one was going to find those other things if we didn't take them through the trunk. First. There
1: was no like shortcut to the leaves, right? We're, we're not like flying up into the air and landing on the leaves. So it was all about going up the trunk. Your blog led them to these little offshoots up top. And that was how people sort of got around in your digital footprint. So 10 years later, by comparison, the analogy has changed to, it's more like a garden and maybe the roses are your blog and you tend that and you water that and you pay attention to that. But also in the garden, the sunflower might be Instagram. And I think some people looking at us might say, no, I still sell an ebook and it's on my website. So I'm still a, a palm tree. But I would say if you pin your ebook and people find your ebook through Pinterest, you're not a palm tree anymore. And if you use Instagram to drive traffic to your ebook, they're going through multiple channels now and they don't need to read your blog, which I think was really sad for us at first. Like there is an obvious change that not everyone is reading your long form everything because the world is moving faster and people might just want a picture and they might just want to tweet and they might just want you to pin inspirational things on Pinterest. And that's what they want from you. And so at first we were really sad about that change because it we felt were like, we used to the old way, <laughs> right? Like in the old days, no one ever, if you were on Instagram, No one was saying like, where'd you get that table from? Because they read your post that was 2,000 words about shopping for the table. And instead they'd be like, there's Ed the Bed, cause they'd know you nicknamed it Ed the Bed on the blog. Like everybody was coming with this lens that they knew all about you from the blog. Now you might have every Instagram you share, someone asking you the story behind something or where it's from, even though that's available on your blog. And I think part of embracing this new change is realizing Everyone's coming to your garden and they're just picking what they want. And instead of being sad that they're not climbing up our tree trunk to our little branches anymore, it's kind of exciting that we can get people in all these different channels. And there's not just one channel where all the weight rests on that channel.
0: Yeah, what we've realized in this, because as Sherry said, it was a little bit of a hard pill to swallow at first when you realize that things have scattered a bit more. But we realize there's also a lot of opportunity in that because in your role as the gardener, because we're gonna really hammer this analogy, guys. Um, you get to cherry pick what goes into your garden. You, know, you get to choose what social media accounts you have, whether you're doing an ebook or a real book or a product line or an e-commerce store, whatever it is. You get to put the things in there that you want And your garden doesn't have to look like your neighbor's garden.
1: Just because everything can be planted in your garden, don't be that gardener who's giving everything five minutes of time and everything's dying in your garden. I would say the great thing about the garden is you can do whatever inspires you, and it might change. Like one month, you might really want to pay attention to your roses, and your roses is the blog, and you have a lot of content to share. You've done all this fun stuff in your home. But the next month, you might not have much to blog about. Maybe you used all your money on the renovation last month. Maybe you don't have much to say. It's really nice to not have to say it. What used to happen, I think, especially for us, is we felt like every day we had to have something, like, notable to share. And so it's really nice to have this relief of, like, maybe this month I'm just doing a lot of Instagram and I'm doing the podcast and I'll have more to blog about later, but nobody wants to read a blog post that's forced and you don't want to write it.
0: One big sort of thing that jumps out to us about this shift is the need for more uh, intention in what we do. And this is going to be a big theme of all that we talk about today because we realize because there's a lot of things we could do, but we don't have the time, the energy, or the want to do all of them. We have to be really thoughtful and make some choices about what we spend our time on. You know, what we enjoy the most, what our audience is gonna get the most out of, what's the best way to communicate our content. And so you'll see this word a lot over the next few slides. So uh, let's move on to the next observations or next then and now change that we've seen. Uh, back in 2007, when we started. It was very much about personal hobby blogging. It's like, you know, kind of born from the Live Journal days where you're just kind of spilling your guts about how you were feeling and what you were eating. And that was very much how we started. If you look at our pictures back then, they were like taken with our crappy point and shoot and were dark and very teeny tiny. It was definitely a very homegrown look to things. And now, I mean, the fact that we're all here at a conference for blogging and social media, and there's experts in classes and best practices, obviously, we are way past this sort of personal hobby realm of things. And so we've dubbed it now as the, quote unquote, influencer industry, as some might call it. I'll admit I have a love-hate relationship with the word influencer. If someone were to ask me what I do, I don't be like I influence people. And so sharing everything about like, how did, how did we get here? You know, what moved us from that personal to the, this industry? And so we were thinking about back then you kind of had these three separate buckets, that kind of lived in their own world. And we've labeled them one bloggers, two magazines, also online magazines or TV, and then also celebrity. And they lived in very separate things. As we were saying, the bloggers were defined by being very personal, very kind of approachable and homegrown, like when you looked at my small crappy dark pictures, you were not gonna think you were suddenly on housebeautiful.com. That line was very clear between the two of us because in that other bucket, the magazines, They were producing very professional content that was highly produced with a team. Again, it was a stark contrast to what we, the bloggers, were doing. And then that third bucket of the celebrity, you had these people that your only connection to was probably from seeing them in a magazine or on TV, and they felt very untouchable. But, you know, I think as many of us tend to do, we might aspire to wear what they wear or eat what they wear, or not eat what they wear. (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) That'd make you a
0: weirdo. eat what they eat, wear what they wear, you know, live their lifestyle. They're very aspirational. And so, as you can probably see where we're going with this over time, due in large part to social media, we've all kind of moved into a similar space and the lines between these things are much blurrier.
1: Celebrities are trying to be much more personal. So, they're doing things like Instagrams that show their real life behind the scenes. You know, suddenly we feel like they're not as untouchable because they're showing us a funny dog clip running around or like their baby spit up on them. So they're, they're moving towards personal where we already are as bloggers. And the same thing is happening with magazines. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but on Instagram, in your feed, you could see a magazine post, like it's Saturday, time for mimosas. And like a magazine wouldn't, do that 10 years ago. You know, there was really not a lot of trying to be super personal. And I think social media has helped everyone get more personal. They'll do behind the scenes. They'll show like, uh, what's that called? When you go like this. Boomerang? Yes. (laughs) 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 They'll show like a boomerang of someone holding their magazine. And that's like the cute approachable way instead of sharing the cover and saying like out on newsstands now, which like used to be the way we were spoken to by magazines and big brands.
0: And at the same time, bloggers have upped their game. I mean, the quality that a lot of you guys in the room are putting out is magazine quality. I mean, photography tools have become easier to use and more available. And so we have helped blur the line of looking more professional like the magazines with the celebrities.
1: Right, and it's not perfect, but I do think there are definitely some bloggers that do you guys know inspired by charm, Michael? He does beautiful recipes. If you went to his website and you covered the header, you could think you are on marthastewart.com or real simple. That's not something that was happening 10 years ago. So we're learning how to up our game, but the key is for us to stay personal when we do that, because that is the leg up we have on celebrities and on magazines or other glossier publications.
0: Yeah, They're working so hard to be personal that we shouldn't lose the thing that we come to naturally. Speaking of which, actually.
1: I have a funny story that involves The Bachelorette. So many moons ago- so The ears ago,
0: perk up in the room. <laughs> yes.
1: I've never told this story. Many moons ago, a bachelorette called me on the phone. And I can't say which one, because it's kind of a quirky story about her, but she called and her season was done and she was riding the fame wave and she wanted to start a lifestyle website, much like Lauren Conrad or like um, Jillian Jillian Harris. Harris. So she was calling me. We had a mutual friend in common. And she said, I just wanted to talk to you about blogging a little bit because you've been doing it a while. We had been blogging for like five years. By then, we'd had a book out. So I think she thought, oh, these are good people to pick their brain. So I got on the phone like a little fangirl. Oh, my gosh. And then she, I was waiting for the questions that were like super technical, right? Like coding or like how many words should be in the headline or all this like SEO stuff. And instead, her only real question was, how can I make people feel like they're my friend? And how can I be like, she was using words like conversational and approachable. And that's when I started to realize what we have that's natural that we don't even realize we have is this natural personal connection. And nothing really ever happened with her website. I waited and waited. But I do Clearly, think, Sherry does
0: not give very good advice. <laughs>
1: uh, I'm terrible. But I do it's just was such a funny moment where I was like, someone is asking me how to be like conversational. Like just how would you talk to your friends? So I think that's something we like by default accidentally do. That's really great. And I think other people are noticing that. And that's why in your Insta feed you'll see someone else who's a big corporation saying something like, Yeehaw, it's Friday, let's get bacon and donuts. Like a big brand didn't used to say that.
0: The other thing that Sherry and I have taken away from acknowledging this convergence is that it's no mistaking now that personal and business live in the same space. And I think that was a a hard thing for us to acknowledge or come to terms with because I think we often thought those two things pushed each other apart. And we came starting from that uh, hobby, very personal side, and we kind of had the sometimes uncomfortable position of transitioning into a business publicly and figuring out our business um, while people were watching. I think oftentimes we thought that if we Kind of leaned into the being a business and having to you know support a family off of this that it would make us less approachable or less real or less relatable and i think what we say is that led to a lot of um aw shucks approach to things there
1: was like an aw shucks era on our website where amazing things it was a were long happening era. yeah it was like many years where amazing things were happening. We felt very aweshocked. We could not believe we had a collection in Target on an end cap and we could go stand in front of it and our faces were on it. I mean, it was like insane and our brains were exploding. But when we looked at now looking back, there were like seven paragraphs of like, we never expected this to happen. We can't believe it. We're so humbled and so honored. That's all true. Some of the people I look up to in blogging are just much more about owning it. They'll say, I have a new collection at Target. It was amazing. I had a lot of fun working on it, here it is. And ours was like, we worked for years behind the scenes on this. We never believed it would be in Target. We can't, you know, there was so much, it was sort of- So much apologizing. The apologies, the disclaimers, and almost shame. There was like a feeling of being ashamed that I wasn't just like you because I have a collection in Target and how can I be just like you? But the truth is, I really am still just like you. I just had this amazing thing happen and it wasn't fully an accident. Like I worked hard for it. I think it felt hard- to like reconcile that I'm really working hard for my business but then I'm like almost not allowed to act like I'm successful or something great happened to me because then I'm not like my audience. But that was that's the truth. Those things felt at odds but they don't have to be because when I look at bloggers I really admire and just people in general I really admire They hustle and they work hard and they are business minded, but they're also people and I connect with them on that level and they don't have to be at odds.
0: Yeah, because now it's very clear that you go on Instagram, you see people simultaneously being very personal, very approachable, very real, but at the same time, they're running a business. So going back to this idea of intention, one interpretation we take of that is this need to just own it more and just be confident of things that happen. It doesn't mean it has to be in a way that's detrimental to you as a a person that can speak one-on-one or relate to people in a real way. Let's move on to the next uh, observation of then and now that we've seen over the 10 years. Back then in 2007, we started to see the emergence of free stuff. So I, a few months into our blog, we started to think like, we should do a giveaway for some of our readers, you know, our like 50 readers or whatever. <laughs> and so I very trepidatiously emailed this company. and was like, would you please donate a $20 gift card so I could give away to my readers? And when they said yes, I thought I had like won the World Series. <laughs> And so we did this giveaway. Our very next giveaway after that, we gave away a dog first aid kit. (laughs) This is our dog, burger modeling it. The other dog is the winner, Bubba.
1: (laughs) This got two posts, guys. Two posts about the doggy first aid giveaway.
0: Obviously, that's a very far cry from where we are now, which for the purposes of this presentation, we've dubbed as the era of hashtag spawn, hashtag ad. We've moved into this space where brands have really legitimized the power of bloggers and social media influencers and are creating really awesome opportunities to work together where you're not just getting paid in free product. You might be getting paid in thousands of dollars of free product, and then also getting paid thousands of dollars on top of that to work with them. So it's a super exciting time to be doing something like this because you don't have to work so hard to get that $20 gift card and you get to do a lot cooler and bigger things. We... I've chosen not to do sponsored posts on our blog or our social feed. We work with brands in other capacities, so to educate ourselves on the process. Actually, when we first launched our podcast, we did an episode where we interviewed three top bloggers: uh, Emily Henderson, uh, Nicole Balch from Making It Lovely, and Justina from The Jungalow, to sort of pick their brains about the process. You know, sort of uh, how do they choose who they work with? What kind of feedback, both positive and negative, they get from their readers? Uh, how much money they make. They talk numbers with us. It was a really... Yeah,
1: they were super frank and open. And it led us to realize, oh my God, first of all, we didn't realize how much people were making because we were like, oh no, we're not really in that world. And I think sometimes people think we're playing stupid. We just didn't know. We weren't doing it. And we had an auto response. So like we never were getting approached by brands with numbers. So when Emily Henderson said like, sometimes I get 30 grand for a sponsored post, we were like. <gasps> and she was like, but it's not just the sponsored post. It's not just a spot on my blog. I'm producing the content. I'm staging a photo shoot. I'm hiring a photographer. I have a team of people working on this. In many cases, I'm doing a makeover if it's for someone like Target. So I'm finding a person's house and I'm making over a room and she has a staff. So she's like, I'm not buying fancy cars with this money. It goes back into the business. And she said, the most poignant thing to me was that they're not just paying for that spot on my blog. They get these assets, photography that they can use on Pinterest. They can use on their Instagram feed. And we were in advertising and still work in advertising on the side. And we know how much you pay a photographer to create an ad that runs in a magazine. And that's not even including the fee to run it in a magazine, which could often be a hundred thousand dollars just to run the ad that might have taken $90,000 to create. So if you guys ever want to listen, it's episode eight. They were very honest about how much things cost and what they say no to and what they won't do.
0: There are two big takeaways, of how we should move forward. Again, going back to this idea of intention is one of those ways is being really selective. They talked a lot about the thought process they go through for whom they choose to work with, you know, whether they uh, actually like their product, whether they think their readers will get something out of it, whether it aligns with their values. And it reminded us that again, one of the good fortunes of being in this place where we've evolved, where brands are often eager to work with bloggers, is that it puts us in a position and also gives us the responsibility to be very selective and make sure that we are not just grabbing everything, but really working on things that that fuel us and fuel our readers. And so it's a good reminder for us that these are choices that we have to make. Even if something might have a very attractive dollar sign on it, you need to think really hard about, is that the best... Way to spend your time and the best way to uh, approach your readers. The other side of this also is it has reminded us that part of intention is also being really transparent. Um, we talked a lot about that podcast episode about the needs for uh, really clear disclosures, which as this has evolved, the disclosures have evolved as well. And there's been, I would, I would describe sometimes a spotty history. People have gotten a lot better about it now. And I think that's a good thing but I think it has really um, cast a lot of skepticism that is still... A,
1: it lingers. Yeah,
0: still lingering factor with a lot of audiences where they see you talk about something and they in the back of the head are wondering what the motivation is. And it's getting harder to talk about something just because you like it and just because you bought it because there might be someone in the background saying...
1: Like, what's the real scoop, guys? What for, happened? For example... Anyone who listens to the podcast or reads the blog know we have a beach house, which is very exciting. It's like all we talk about and think about. This morning, I was on the phone with the contractor. And... We didn't know what color to paint the exterior. And we were looking everywhere for inspiration. And on Christmas Eve, John's sister walked into a family party holding this pink cup from a hotel she was staying at to avoid all of our rabid children. So she, the sister without kids, checked into this hotel and arrived in the morning with her pink yeah. cup of coffee so that she could live being surrounded, by, a all girl. Being surrounded by all the kids. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love that color pink. And I brought the cup to John when she was finished. And I said, we should literally hold paint chips up to this cup and match this cup and do pink at the Beach House. Are you down? And being the man that he is, he was totally cool. He's like, I'm gonna call it coral. That's fine, John, whatever you wanna call <laughs> oh, it. I that's better though. That's fine. He embraced it and then we told the story. And on Instagram, I shared a picture of the hotel and I said, the funny way that this local hotel inspired the Beach House color. And one of the comments was, was this sponsored by the hotel, which I totally get. But when I share the story, I'm kind of like-
0: It's a very convoluted sponsor. Right, like,
1: did you think we like planted the cup in John's sister's hand and she- And I. what I really believe is that the person hadn't read the full story and just like saw us Instagramming about a hotel and thought, oh, is this a brand partnership? it reminded me this was very recently it was maybe a few weeks ago it reminded me that there is still sort of this layer of skepticism that the people bring to your content and so i think that the way we all can just like seriously cut down on that is being super transparent and so it was great talking to justina and emily and nicole about how they're like we do super clear disclosures and what it does is people just have accepted it we do sponsored it's part of how we keep our blog running and nobody really questions us because it's super obvious and i think it was Part harder. of that boning
0: thing that we talked about a moment ago too.
1: Right. And it was harder for us because we don't do sponsor posts on the blog, so we never were disclosing anything. So I think it became more questionable, like, if you're not disclosing anything, is there something secretly going on? Yeah. When we
0: started adding ad segments into our podcast, we had to think really hard about how we could be transparent about it because we used to rely on the visual aspect of our blog to have our content in the main column and then all of our ads on the sidebar. Like, they, they didn't intermingle. And so that was really easy to not get people confused. But on a podcast, like it's all coming through your ears the same way. It's all us talking the whole time. So we had to think that just saying at the front like this is brought to you by is probably not enough. And so we were inspired by another podcast that we listened to where they run some special music under the paid portions of the the podcast. So that there's another audio clue that what you're hearing is different from everything else you're hearing. Because we talk about a lot of brands that we use. We have a whole section on the podcast called We're Digging where it's just like, I like this product, or I like this trend, or I like this store. And so that section could very easily be misconstrued as something that was paid. And we wanted to make sure that we didn't detract from the impact of that section by there being this section that was paid that might be confused. And actually, speaking of all that, this is us back in our living room in Richmond for a moment. Uh, We figured now is as good a time as any to actually take a quick break.
1: But don't worry, you didn't miss the part about me crying. That's coming up next.
0: So you guys heard that this week's episode is brought to you by Delta Faucet, who offers all sorts of innovative and thoughtfully designed solutions for your kitchen and bathroom.
1: And I, for one, was curious about this thing they call H2O Kinetic Technology, which is apparently this feature in their shower heads that sprays the water in a wave pattern, and it creates the feeling of more pressure and more coverage.
0: And a senior designer at Delta Faucet named Seth Fritz told us about another feature of H2O Kinetics, which one of us is particularly intrigued by. It's me. Here's our conversation with Seth. You know, to be perfectly honest, I was skeptical. So as with a lot of technology, I want to study it. I want to learn about it. I, I tend to be a little skeptical and learn as much as possible. I put one of those in our house. There is no other shower head going in any of our homes ever. It will always be H2O Kinetics because the shower you get is amazing.
1: And does it feel warmer on your body?
0: Absolutely.
1: That's so funny. I love a warm shower.
0: Well, occasionally, you know, you find yourself maybe bumping the handle a little bit hotter as your shower goes on. You won't have to do that with H2O Kinetics.
1: Oh, I do that all the time till it's like (laughs) all the way up.
0: Yeah. So for all of you other hot shower lovers out there, apparently it's all about spraying bigger water droplets, which retain heat better. And there's lots more info about H2O Kinetics and all their other product innovations at DeltaFaucet.com slash YHL. Okay. And now back to the talk. So the next evolution that we've seen then and now is when we started blogging in 2007, it was very much for us about sharing very specific things. We came to our blog to tell people about our home improvement, our DIY, our design. Um, There was maybe a little bit of life stuff sprinkled in, but it was really focused on what we were talking about. And of course, over the years that broadened a little bit, we started talking about our family and maybe our vacations. And now, I mean, thanks to social media, we're all kind of in this place where it feels like often we're sharing all the things. You know, it's not just your blog, it's you've got your Instagram and your Instagram stories and your Facebook and your Facebook live. We've, we've said before that like the line between real offline life and online life is like so razor thin right now because if we wanted to, we could practically live stream our lives to our audiences. And I like to remind myself, just because I can doesn't mean I should.
1: <laughs>
0: and then we think about that for a couple reasons. The first is thinking from a business perspective. You know, if you if you really have some business goals or purposes for what you're putting out there, think about what you share and how that feeds back to that goal. I'll give an example of uh, Sherry and I uh, follow a lot of artists and photographers on Instagram. So we, I was following this painter because I really liked his artwork. And I love seeing his artwork in my feed and presumably he was there to help sell his artwork. Well, when Insta Stories came on the scene, suddenly he was also like taking me to the grocery store with him and like rambling on his couch. And it really diluted his presence for me. And I was seeing less of his painting and more of all this other stuff, which is not a bad thing. I mean, I don't wanna wanna construe, like don't share anything off topic, because we certainly do. But the disparity between how much other there was and how much that was related to his business was so stark that I unfollowed him because I wasn't getting enough of his art.
1: And on the other side of that, I will say that I like following people who share some parts of their life. I do think nobody wants all the parts. I think John's being very nice in his description, but there were all the parts of this person's life when it used to just be art. So it was a huge difference.
0: Well, the example I'll give is, and I'll, I'll name this person. Um, you guys know Letterfolk Co., the people who do those letter boards with like the funny sayings on them. So we followed them on Instagram because I like seeing their like well-styled photos of these letter boards with the funny sayings on them. And then for Insta stories they started using to let us into the lives a bit more but it was in my opinion still very related to the work they did like through Insta stories I learned that this is like a family business it's a husband and wife team they're just a small shop they work really hard to get their orders out they show us what it's like to pack their orders like you know it's funny and goofy and has a lot of personality so it it colored their business in an interesting way to me but it was still all about what they did, it fed their business goal.
1: It made them personal and approachable, but they did it in a focused way instead of being all, I didn't watch her eat a banana in the grocery store to see if it was fresh. It was sort of on topic.
0: Um, For us, this kind of thinking about not having to share all the things also relates to sort of a transition we, we saw in our own blogging. I would say when we first started finding ways to monetize our site back in 2008, it kind of looked like this. So the flow was like, we discovered if we shared a little bit of our life, like our home and our DIY, that created a little bit of content. And then from that, we might be able to earn a little bit of money. I think our first month of Google AdSense was 11 or $12.
1: And I was like, we're going to Home Depot, baby. Yeah. We're buying some paint. But it felt like what a cool thing that the universe is doing, yeah. that you can share a little bit of your life and then you get that content and then you make money. Like, isn't that the dream? It How like this?
0: It felt like the holy grail of career. Um, but I think over time, For us, especially as Sherry became full-time on the website, then I became full-time, we had one kid, we had another kid, the need for the website to support the family grew and therefore the need for money grew. And so at some point, kind of subconsciously, this flow reversed. And so there was the need for more money, which drove us to the need for more content. And then we gradually shared more of our life. We realized in retrospect, kind of a, a dangerous position to be in where you feel like, as we often say, we felt this pressure to live a bloggable life. We needed. It's just so
1: dangerous to start from the point of where do we get the content to make the money? And then, like, all parts of your life are now game to support your family.
0: Yeah, we started to deprioritize the things that were not a good fit for content in favor of the things that would work back towards the blog. So, like, if I enjoyed this random hobby that no one cared to read about, then.
1: Well, racquetball. I, that's a true story.
0: I, I do it on my racquetball blog. <laughs> Um, there's three followers, Um, but we started spending less time doing those things and more time doing the home improvement and the types of things that we thought people would want to read about. And that again, just shaped our lives in a way that we didn't mean for it to happen. So we have tried to get that flow corrected again. So we're starting from the place of let's Let's share what we want to because we think it's interesting or we want to share it. And let's leave the other things off and leave them as private moments. Because the other thing we learned out of this is that there's there's a change that happens when private moments become public property. Uh, not, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad change all the time, but Sherry, you've got a, a story of kind of the double-edged sword of this.
1: Yeah, so part of it is my aunt died very unexpected. Well, My aunt died very young, and it was really hard for our family. She had multiple sclerosis for a long time. And when she passed away, I lived with her growing up. She made my lunches. She was my second mom with my mom. And it was a big thing that happened in my life. And so I blogged about it because I wanted to raise money for MS, and I wanted to raise awareness. And I think I really wanted to connect with people who were going through the same thing. And I did, and it was so amazing because I – Talk to other people who had the same problem. And I got this emotional support I think I really was looking for and I was able to make some money for MS, which was really important to me and felt like, you know, my family was so thrilled that we were using like our platform in this way to speak out about a disease that very personally devastated us. But then there was a troll who said something terrible and just like kicked me when I was down. And I feel like, (laughs) sorry, I feel like it's really scary when you're being so vulnerable that someone can be that mean to you, but it's the reality. I don't look back and wish I didn't share it because I really, I loved the the positives that came out of it, but now I know, I'm aware of the negatives that can also come with being vulnerable and putting something so personal out for public consumption. So I would just encourage anyone who is going through something hard, if you need that support, I really hope you get it. But just to be aware, I think now we have a tighter focus. We're more careful. If something happens that feels super scary or super... Terrible. We're not always like, let's share it with the whole world because only good will come. Like, we're realistic now. We know that there are people who just like, they're just mean, you know, and it wasn't constructive and it wasn't nice. And I think that person, it was not a big deal to them. Like, they went about their day and they probably don't know how I feel. They don't know I'm crying at all about it, you know, like, <laughs> like years later. But I think it, I don't want you guys to not be vulnerable, that's not what I'm saying, but I think just going into it and knowing and maybe being prepared, I just didn't think about it. And now I think about it. And there certainly are things that we share that still make us very vulnerable, but there are other things that we're like, you know what? I don't want this to be public property. I just wanna have it for myself. And that can be beautiful, wonderful moments too. And it could mean that you're not taking the camera out and worrying about documenting this wonderful, beautiful moment because you're just keeping it for yourself. And I think that's very healthy.
0: Yeah. Sherry talked about a very big moment, but it applies to the small moments too. I mean, if something just cute happened with your kids, like maybe it's a great photo, it doesn't mean it has to go up on Instagram. You know, it's okay to leave some things private and just for yourself. And so that's the thing we're reminding ourselves. Um, And so the last way that we're interpreting this idea of intention is this idea of bringing focus to what we share. You know, Sherry likes this quote that you can do less, but with more focus. And we think so, if we're going to tighten our sharing back around the ideas of home improvement and DIY and design, How can we do that in a way that still is very deep and allows for these personal connections? Because you can still like that example, the letter folk call, like they were opening up up about their lives, but on a focused topic. And I still felt like I knew them better, but they didn't have to share their whole day with me. And so we're going to use the podcast as another example, because we talk primarily about home design, decor, you know, the beach house. But we get this feedback from people that say... I've read your blog for you know five years, but in two episodes of the podcast, I felt like I knew you better than I had that whole time because they're hearing our voices, they're hearing our sarcasm, our, our banter, whatever. And so we have found this way in the podcast, at least to have really real connections with people and have these. Like, kind of deep conversations, I'm not saying like emotionally deep, but just dive deep.
1: Um, yeah, I think it's like because they could hear our sarcasm and how we interacted with each other, and they could hear our voice, and we were real people. We weren't just typing on the internet. And I think inflection's really great because, like, you guys sitting here get more from this talk than if it was typed out and you were reading it because you understand, like, when we're joking and when we're being serious and when I'm crying. <laughs> so I think that things it colors everything a little bit more deeply. So in that way, you might say, well, that's weird that you step back and you don't want to be as vulnerable and you're trying to like do less with more focus, but why are you doing the podcast? That's such like you're talking, you're being so vulnerable. It's because we're talking about these topics that feel really comfortable to us. So our audience is getting this like big wide Snapchat of, Snapchat, Snapchat, snapshot of who we are. Blogger problems. Yeah, I don't even use Snapchat, how did that happen? They're getting this snapshot of who we are that they're getting more of us than sometimes one picture or one post can capture. And so I think, this is not to say everyone have a podcast, but if there's ways in your business- yeah, No one else have a podcast. No, we love podcasts, we'll have you on ours, you guys can have us on yours. I think in any way, in any way that you can make your business more dimensional, it's wonderful is what I'm trying to say.
0: Um, so we're going to end on this idea of focus. I know because we've talked a lot about the changes that we've seen in the 10 years. And I think as Sherry said at the beginning, we're going to see probably even more wilder changes moving forward because who the heck knows what's ahead of us. But I think for us, we know, especially thinking about this garden again, that there's going to be lots of things that will come at us, lots of things that we could potentially plant in our gardens that keeping focus on what we want to do, what is good for our business, what's good for our readers, uh, what's good for the content that we want to share that for us, at least, it feels like we are strapped in for the ride a little bit better than we were before. Thank you, guys.
1: Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast.
0: Next week, we'll be back to our usual podcast format. But if you like this special episode, please share it with a friend, whether they're a blogger, entrepreneur, influencer, or I don't know, just someone who uses the internet. You can just tell them, text them, or use the share button in the bottom left corner of your podcast app.
1: And keep telling us what you do while you listen, like Anne from Oregon on Instagram, who listens while she cleans a local dentist's office on the weekends for some extra cash.
0: And head over younghouselove.com slash podcast for all the bonus links, photos, and info from this episode, including screenshots of some of the slides from our presentation, and a picture of Bubba, the dog who won the first aid kit.
1: And a photo of me with that bachelorette. Just kidding, I'll never tell. (laughs)
0: Later.
1: Bye. Insert dramatic thunderbolt here. (laughs) Not bad. That was kind of like a symbol, but I'll take it.
0: Our Foley artist is on vacation.
1: Yes. We actually haven't ever paid the Foley artist, so he never came back. He
0: might be on strike. Vacation strike. (laughs) Potato, potato.